And welcome everybody to the 101st episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan, and we've got a really good one lined up for you on this episode. Joining me is fellow Sculpty Boy, Cobblepot. Cobble, how you doing? Doing well. Good to be here. It's great to have you back. I'm really excited to talk Lord of the Rings. It was a middle earth. I imagine, like, of all the people in the Mind Sculptors that I could have had on for this podcast, like, honestly, uh, yes, exactly. Uh, For our audio listeners, Cobble just stood up and showed his uh, Tolkien tattoo. Uh, So Cobble was, like, the perfect person to have on for this set review. Also joining us again, Tyler from Play to Win. He's back. How's it going, Tyler? Hi, it's going great. Thank you. Yeah. I'm super Uh, excited for the set. This set's super cool. Um, let's get into this today. Uh, last last week, we kind of talked about nothing for like 45 minutes. Uh, this week, we're going to get right into it because we've got a fair number of like pretty interesting cards to talk about. And first, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about a couple of the potential commanders from this set. One of them, of course, is Aragorn the Unit. It's not Unifier. Aragorn the Uniter. Excuse me. It costs red, green, white, and blue. It's a human noble. That is a 5-5 that says, whenever you cast a white spell, create a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. Whenever you cast a blue spell, scry 2. Whenever you cast a red spell, Aragorn the Uniter deals 3 damage to target opponent. And whenever you cast a green spell, target creature gets plus four, plus four until end of turn. So, Tyler, it does deal infinite damage with a squee and a food chain. That just does. Um, that that is a thing that it can do. Uh, but overall, what what are your kind of impressions of this card, generally speaking, as a CEDH command? Well, I would say since you started with food chain, I think it's pretty safe to say that this is at at this point the the second best four color single card commander for food chain <laughs> after Traxa, which is uh, pretty narrow and not not the greatest. Um, I mean, I I, I, I think <laughs> Omnath is better. Oh, maybe yeah. Four I wasn't color even thinking Omnath, Omnath is probably better. Um, but yeah, it might be okay. So maybe maybe third best then. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm delighted that we have another card in these colors, so I'm gonna just call this Aragorn of Miletus for for my own um, sanity's <laughs> sake. I, um, but yeah, it, it's it's the kind of card that that just generates like low level value over and over by doing what you want to do anyway, which is cast spells. Um, you pretty much don't ever care about triggering anything other than the token generating and scrying two in terms of incidental value, um, and the the red as the outlet. Um, so you know, it's it's got it's got the ability to be that commander. I don't think that um, doing four color food chain in these colors is necessarily better than a, a lot of other food chain decks. But I, you know, it, I guess it's nice that there's an an LOTR <laughs> option for for food chain. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if, if it's got much more going for it than that. Every time I look at this card, I I can see like in my mind's eye, people from Watsi wringing their hands looking at Kenrith and being like, okay, how could we do something that's not <laughs> so overtly problematic, but 
still has interesting things. And I mean, it, if you squint, it's, it's, it's got a lot in, in, let's say, um, thematic similarity. Um, I, I, I mean, really, I don't like very much that's, that is actually written on the card because, okay, I don't really want to be giving creatures plus four plus four. Um, I would very, very much rather have a one damage that can hit any target rather than three damage that only hits an opponent. Mm -hmm. And scrying, but not drawing. I get why they needed to do that, but still, you can't actually gain advantage. And, you know, creating one ones, we have more economical ways to make one ones more efficiently. So it's like, uh, maybe if you're looking to do an interesting Jeskai Ascendancy deck or something like that. And, you know, you want to yeah. put something clever together with Earthcraft or whatever. Um, maybe you could get something rolling. Uh, but no, I, I don't really see this doing anything in the upper echelons. I definitely so see it as super fun for, you know, the, the more casual side. But yeah. So Cobble, since you started with a... Kenrith comparison. Can mm -hmm. I can I invite you to to say Aragorn is to Kenrith as Shadowfax is to Winota? Are we allowed to just call that out right off the bat? Um, I'll say <laughs> yes, but I'm trying to think of which one is is the the paler, because <laughs> like because this is very very much worse. Than Kenrith, then Shadowfax yeah. is very, very much worse than Winona. Um, <laughs> yeah. Moving on to another member of the Fellowship, it is Gandalf the White, a legendary avatar wizard that costs three colorless and two white, uh, is a four five with flash that says you may cast legendary spells and artifact spells as though they had flash. If a legendary permanent or an artifact entering or leaving the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So Cobblepot, um, it, it was kind of interesting because when I saw this get spoiled, I initially thought I was like, oh, this is a really good card in the 99. And then I saw people comparing it to Teshar. What are your thoughts on this as a commander? I know we've talked about it as potentially very good in the 99. But what are your thoughts on this as a As a commander, I'm a little bit less excited about it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I feel like in, in any stacks deck, a primary angle of attack that you're going to be looking for is, is rule of law when you have white. Um, and you're always looking for ways that you can break parity on your rule of law effects. And that is going to include things like flash so that you can make use of other people's turns to get around that limitation, but also um, making more use of non-cast abilities, things like enter the battlefield abilities, activated abilities, and that sort of thing. And this is doing both of that. It's doubling up uh, the enter the battlefield triggers for, for things that you, you do care about. Um, and it's giving you the ability to sneak in kind of whatever effect you need to in, in, a, in a reactive way. So, for instance, if somebody 
is going to play their underworld breach and nobody has you know a rest in peace or a graft diggers or anything like that um they might go ahead and and start off and then you can flash in a graft diggers cage and that is but not a, a rest line. in peace no but not a rest yes. in peace. no no um but it it's not something that people will be expecting because it's not typical of that particular archetype most of the time most of the time people look at a a rule of law archetype and they're expecting that you're going to do stuff on your turn and not be particularly reactive you're gonna be more proactive so this allows people to be more reactive in that archetype which will have some ahas like you know i i got you because you weren't expecting that um but it just it promotes a more interactive approach to that style of play and um whether that makes it worthwhile to have a you know we've got a couple of mono white players that are in our in our echelons that (laughs) probably could speak to that a little bit more i plan to use gandalf more in the 99 like we said but as a commander it's there's some interesting stuff there Tyler, when you look at this card, what are your thoughts on Gandalf and where it stands in the metagame? I think it's unplayable as a commander and mediocre in the 99. Okay. Um, I my, my issue with it as a commander in particular is, like, I, I totally agree with Cobblepot's of assessment of, like, turning, turning mono-white um, stacks into a more interactive deck is a really, like, you know, interesting thing that, that maybe has the potential for some gotchas. Um, but my problem with it is that you you can't just not play all the really good um, uh, stacks pieces that would come down on your turn that you're not interested in playing with Flash. So then I, I think almost the best case scenario, weirdly, is that you're staring down the decision point constantly where you either play something on your turn or hold up to um, play something interactive that might have a gotcha moment, but then you're letting you know at least one, if not more, opponents get away through their turn without the stacks that you would have played in your main. Um, so I, I feel like it's kind of telling you to do competing things. Um, maybe there's a, a way to thread that needle really effectively, but I, I would be surprised if I see a lot of this. That is the two specific commanders that we were taking a look at. Like I said, not a lot as far as commanders go for the set. Looking I have a lore into... question. Can I ask yes. a lore question? Of, of course. Kabul, our resident J.R.R. Tolkien expert. Um, Callahan referred to this as one of the members of the Fellowship. Is Gandalf the White still a member of the Fellowship, having been exiled from the battlefield as Gandalf the Grey and returned? Or is it a separate instance of the same permanent and therefore not a member? So <laughs> he he didn't become Gandalf the White until the Fellowship had already been broken. So oh, Gandalf the Grey would have been a member of the Fellowship. And Gandalf the White, while still acquainted and close to the members of the Fellowship, never would have been a member proper. See, I uh, see it get, more as see, I see them. it more as a uh, it it was it's an immutable thing that was in the like the like your the commander ability is an immutable of uh, like thing. So when once you're in the fellowship, <laughs> you're in the fellowship. Um, 
<laughs> Stick around for more semantics like this and Cobble shaking his head in despair. It's, it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, so let's take a look at some of the cards in the 99 and what better place to start than with the lands. So we've got a one color legendary land cycle and they are uh, specifically very prominent places throughout Middle Earth. So for black, we have uh, I want to make sure I'm saying this correctly, but it's Baradul. Yeah. I think that's how you're supposed to say it. Um, it enters the battlefield tapped unless you control legendary creatures, which all five of these do. Uh, it makes black mana and then has XX black tap and you will max orcs X. And that is one of the abilities of the Morgul armies is to make... Uh, instead of amass zombies, you are amassing orcs. Uh, so that is what the black one does. The white one is Minas Tirith, uh, which as well uh, enters tapped unless you control a legendary creature, uh, makes white mana, and is a colorless and a white to tap to draw a card, and you can only activate if you attack with two or more creatures this turn. The red one is the Mines of Moria, uh, which has the activated the second activated ability is a three colorless and a red to activate exile three cards from your graveyard create two treasure tokens the blue legendary land is rivendell and it has the ability to for a colorless and a blue you tap it scry two and you can only activate if you control a legendary creature and then finally we have the shire for green which lets you tap a colorless and a green and this land to create an untapped and you tap an untapped creature you control. Wow, that's makes it significantly worse. Uh, <laughs> and you create a food token. So, Tyler, we, we, we kind of talked about this pre-show and I kind of just referenced this. The green one is bad. Uh, like indisputably bad. At least the green one is bad. The other, like most, all of them. Uh, so out of these five, uh, lands, uh, which one of these scream playable and in where what scenario do they scream playable? Well. I think the only ability that feels actually worth it is the white one. Uh, draw a card only if you attack with two or more creatures this turn. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say uh, outside of very specific decks, um, none of the rest of them feel great, um, with the notable exception of Minds of Moria being um, possibly reasonable in um, Magda, but uh, yeah. just because of its reliance on treasures. Um, but I also think that, uh, as I alluded to before the show, um, the... The downside of them entering tapped in, in the case of everyone except the white one, I think, is just enough enough uh, worse than the ability is good that I just don't think they're likely to see play. I mean, we don't need to belabor the point. None of these yeah. are, are like, so, wow, they're going to change the format. Um, yeah, I like you know Ministerith. So go ahead. You know, uh, what makes it hurt worse is that um, we just had a legendary land cycle that enters untapped. That was fabulous. <laughs> it's just... In in light of the Kamigawa lands, it feels like a real slap in the face, to be honest. But well, let's look at uh, some creatures here. The first one here in our list is a card that uh, we were in the car. It was me, 
Morgan and Reed in Minneapolis. And Phoenix is at the event where these are being revealed. And he texts us, I can't tell you or show you this card, but it's going to change Commander. (laughs) And we're like, okay. So eventually it ends up uh, people, you know, are eventually allowed to post it, post it on Twitter. We see Delighted Halfling while we're at dinner. And I was very close to doing a spit take when I saw this card. Uh, So Delighted Halfling is a one cost one green. It's a one, two halfling citizen that has tap or colorless or tap to add one mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast a legendary spell. And that spell can't be countered. So Tyler, not only This is something that just occurred to me. Not only does this make your commanders uncounterable, but it also makes other legendary spells you cast uncounterable, which is kind of wild. (laughs) So, uh, what do I know? You're you're a Kinnon player, so obviously you're excited (laughs) about this, right? Like, oh, certainly. But I think everyone should be excited about this. it might be a tiny bit of a reach to say it's going to change commander, but but not a ton of one. Um, we already have a lot of good um, one one green mana dorks. Um, I, I don't think anyone's going to rush to say that this is better than Birds of Paradise, but it is very good. Um, so we already had, you know, effectively Boreal Druid the first half of this text, but stapling um, Cavender Souls for legendaries onto it is a really, really big difference. It's definitely enough of a difference that um, more or less every deck wants this. We are just up one more card on on single mana dorks that every single green deck runs. Um and I think it's it's kind of that simple. Um this yeah. this immediately <laughs> isn't this is an elvish mystic. You know, in some situations you might be less less excited because it doesn't produce colored pips, but most of the time it's it's probably going to feel just as good as those those. Yeah, I mean it's it's really good. Cobble when you see this are, are can you imagine a world where there is a green deck that wouldn't want to play this? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was trying to. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> yeah I, I mean, that, I, I was sitting here like going through decks in my head, and I'm like, no, it, it definitely just you definitely play that. No, it, you definitely still play it there. Um, I mean, and so if you, you know. have like, if you don't have any legendary, so I'm trying to think of a deck that has a commander with green and its color identity where nothing in the 99 is a legendary. So it'll just be a boreal druid. Um, well, a boreal druid that can cast your commander uncounterable and protect the casting of your commander, yeah. which if you're in a, I, I feel like. This does a lot for specifically green decks who have creature or commander reliant strategies. And I like this is a really cool card to see in this. Uh, like I just got done talking about Atraxa and how good it is. Hey, look, my Atraxa is uncounterable now. Get wrecked. Uh, like I, I just see this as being an auto include in every green deck and i can't imagine a world where it's not um much but 
that's kind of that's kind of what I think on it. Um, can I can yeah. I add the one Kinnan note just before we move on? Yes, absolutely. For anyone who who doesn't already know this, um, Kinnan does not color. Uh, oh my god, I can't talk. Kinnan does not copy the restriction of mana that you produce. So in in Kinnan, this delighted halfling um, can produce one colored pip that um, doesn't need to be spent on a legendary spell. Just for the record, can be important. I hate Kenan so much. <laughs> I hate that card so much. I, I just got done editing a thing with Kenan in it, and it's just, I hate that card so much. It's just always remove the Kenan, friends. Uh, <laughs> next card on our list is Lotho Corrupt Sheriff. It is a halfling rogue that costs a white and a black. That is a 2-1 that says whenever a player casts their second spell each turn, you lose one life and create a treasure token. Tyler, uh, thoughts on Lotho, Corrupt Sheriff? Um, most things that say whenever a player casts their second spell each turn, uh, you do something relevant are good, and I think this is probably one of them. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't um, super tried to figure out if there's a lot of combo potential here. Um, but you know you're you're more more or less restricted to once per turn. But even even if you're talking once per turn, um, routinely making treasure tokens is going to feel really good. Um, and the fact that it's not opponents, it's all players, so you can trigger it yourself, is really good. So I think this is a, a pretty reasonable 99 include um, in some decks that uh, want to generate fast mana and plan to double spell most turns. What was the white enchantment cobble from uh, Strixhaven? Monologue uh, task. Yeah, monologue tax. Monologue is, uh, tax, yeah. Yeah. This reminds me of that a little bit, but it's like all of our notes on that card, they took them and put them and made this card, it feels like almost. Right. So monologue tax only triggers on opponents doing things. Yep. Um, this is more like Ledger Shredder, where you can trigger it as well. Um, so if you want to cast two two spells on somebody else's turn, you can go ahead and get additional mana value out of it. Um, it's easier to tutor for the vast majority of decks because it's a creature as opposed to an enchantment, mm -hmm. which is tricky for non-black and non-white decks to, to go and get. Um, this is black and white, but um, <laughs> if you have access to green, this is going to be very, very much easier to get than, than monologue tax or smothering tithe. Um, well, and even if, if you have red, have either. Because even if you have red, either recruiter gets this card too. It's um, true. Now, granted, I don't know if you're wanting to recruiter for this, uh, but it definitely feels like a value engine that also can be an at a Timna attacker. Like, I I don't see a whole lot of downsides with it, right? Like, the the life loss if you're on an ad strategy is yeah. consequential. Um, that said, I, the, the first place that, that I've tested it out has been in Marnaeus Calgar and it's absolute, you know, it's fire in that because yeah. it's giving you a treasure and drawing you a card. Um, every time anybody casts their second spell. So, um, it's, it, it, you know, works as advertised. Yeah, I I look at it and I'm like, this feels like a thing that I feel like it does what for like Tim Necrom 
what they kind of wanted Ledger Shredder to do, if that makes sense. Because uh, it feels like it does that a little, like because you're you're not really trying to bin crom- or cards in Timnacrom, generally speaking, because it's it's a pretty controlly deck that usually wants to have a lot of card advantage, and so having mana advantage on top of that, I think, probably fits into that strategy a little bit better than Ledger Shredder, maybe. Um, but I don't know. It'll be interesting. Seeing more I, cards. I, I, is still card advantage, especially That's if true. you're going to be on Underworld Breach or if you're doing Reanimator. Yeah, uh, I I might give this a try in Tivit. Uh, I I feel like it's definitely good in Tivit because it helps contribute to the treasure uh, strategy. Uh, but we'll see where else it pops up. I also feel like it, it it's probably pretty good in Timna decks as well. Uh, but we will see. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The next card on our list is a card that is 100% going to change the format. Uh, This card is on our, uh, this card might get banned list Uh, because this has Hull Breacher written all over it. It is Hull Breacher 2 Electric Boogaloo, otherwise known as Orcish Bowmasters. It's a 1-1 that costs a colorless and a black. With Flash, it's an Orc Archer. Uh, did I say the name of the card? I don't think I said the Orcish name of the card. Orc- I thought you were talking about Gimli the gl- of the Glittering <laughs> Caves. No, uh, no, I'm talking about Orcish Bowmasters. It's got Flash, and when it enters the battlefield and whenever an opponent draws a card except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps, Orcish Bowmaster deals one damage to any target then a mass orcs one. This cobble, how many times can they print this effect before they figure out that this is a very bad effect for commander? Now I get that this is like, a this is probably a card they printed for legacy, but like this feels like it's just a shoo-in to get banned in commander, right? Like, I don't know. Um, the things that are really good in CEDH aren't always really good in, yeah. um, in casual and vice versa. Uh, yeah. Things that have gotten banned. Um, Hull Breacher, I mean, Hull Breacher was, was problematic 
in 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 CEDH. I don't think that it was on the same level as Flash, but it was definitely something that it was know, a good kinda, thing when that left, right? It, yeah, like it definitely it, it, was a positive thing for the meta. I would agree. Um but it wasn't it wasn't banned because of CEDH having trouble right. with it. It was it was banned because casuals were doing the thing and it was yeah not fun for for them and we got to sit through several months of the rc trying to figure out is hull breacher the issue or is it these wheels that have been around for forever right. and you know leovold taught us this question or this answer hull breacher has taught us this answer right. i think this has a little bit of the leovold effect to it where it's kind of hard yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, people saw an a plus b and they tried it and then they made yeah. the game miserable for everybody because they couldn't finish the game after that everybody yep. else would have zero cards in hand and you'd be one player it, would it be does trying to... at minimum not stop your opponents from drawing and it does also after you clear the board at least give you a thing that can progressively get bigger that you can use to end the game so I, I do think that is some upside. Tyler, when you look at this, though, uh, how is this not like an auto include in every black deck? Well, it is. I mean, I, I yeah. think that almost certainly um, it would it would be close to good enough if it only said flash um, when it enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to any target then a max works one that is already close. Um, I'm concerned that the comparison to um, Hull Breacher and Leovald is not entirely apt just because it doesn't actually stop opponents from drawing cards, which makes it mm-hmm. less bannable, which perversely... It does stop them I'm, from playing creatures, because it does really make li- like keeping yes, it, creatures on the board difficult. It massively disincentivizes creatures, yeah. And and I, I am worried about that. I, I think you know Wizards has been pushing in the direction of um, making creatures better, and um, something that just answers specific creatures not asymmetrically um, for two mana uh, at, at instant speed seems um, seems pretty rough. Um, I don't I don't really understand why they would print this if they weren't prepared to like reprint um, Fire Confluence or something like that. But it, it feels like we're in the same territory, but it's a much better card than that. I, I mean, it really feels like they were throwing legacy players a bone, and they're like. Here's something to deal with brainstorm. Like, have fun, Delver decks. We know you're just going to add this to your repertoire, but. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I, I hope the, the RC is, is fast on this then, if, if that's the case, because it, it, it sure is going to make a lot of creature decks miserable. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not very excited about a meta in which creature decks get so much worse that, you know, we're, we're much more on. Fast Nas and spell slinging decks have having enough of an advantage that um, creature decks can't compete, and those are the only viable styles of deck. I think that's really unhealthy for the meta. Right. I. It's. It's. This is one of those cases where counterplay is more challenging um, mm-hmm. than in previous iterations. So, somebody with a time twister wants to, you know to wheel everybody's hands away and somebody else has a narset or as a notion thief or whatever. Um, 
this not only provides the um, kind of the stick for, oh, this is an incoming threat for for a wheel, but it also makes it such that um, they, you know, you can shoot down the Narset or take out the Notion Thief very easily. So it's difficult to have a proactive anti, um, you know, weapon against that uh, at wheel, um, short of, you know, having counters in hand or having your own orcish bowmasters, you know, like the, the, the only thing better than, than a, a bad guy with an orcish bowmasters is a good guy with an orcish bowmasters <laughs> or, you know, something like that. You know, shoot them first. Cause you'll get, um, cause of app nap. The fact but, that it ETB, the fact that it ETBs it, and punishes the draw, I think is what's wild. Yeah. I, I, I think that that does a lot. Um, I, the, the punish the draw is the problematic part, right? Of course, like if right. it weren't for that, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, coupled to your point, I think it, it's going to be interesting when we have two of these on the battlefield because um, things may resolve in app order, but all the targets have to be declared before then. So I assume that every single time a wheel resolves with two of these on the field, the the wheel, um, the the effects all end up resolving and there are then zero wheel masters on the field. Like There'll be zero creatures on the field. It'll, it'll just always probably, be yeah. a board wipe and all the Adnos players at five life. And it's, that's, uh, that's not really a problem for casual because casual likes to have board wipes as long as they're symmetric. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but this is not symmetric. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Um, and, and also in both of these cases, there's going to be, um, if there's two on the battlefield, you'll have two large orc armies on the battlefield. Yeah after everything resolves which is gonna be problematic for not great especially when you're not allowed when you're basically not able to play any creature under a certain toughness like i think like tivit is gonna be fine right because tivit with ward three and just being a six six is just kind of like hey uh (laughs) Hey, Ward 3 for every single target. Go for it. Um, But it's every other creature-centric... Like, I I, I talked about how Delighted Halfling incentivizes playing these more commander-centric decks. Or In the same set, we have a card that disincentivizes it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I, I am... I'm not going to be like I'm not actively like rooting or like campaigning for it to get banned. I am just predicting. I think this is going to end up being a a hull breacher again, like at the end of the day. Ultimately, I think it's a very different card, but it's a similar enough play pattern. And I feel like it's going to have a negative effect in a different but yet somewhat similar way as Hull Breacher. Uh, so, yeah. I think with a world where creatures can't be played is not a great world. Uh, what, what do we think this card would have to cost for it to feel okay? Because two is not the answer, <laughs> clearly. Um, I mean, I would still play it at four. four. I, I think at four, it is still 
borderline bettable. I, I, I yeah. like, I would, I would want to see this effect at five or more for me to even like consider this as an like <laughs> a reasonable card to print. That's what I'm telling. Say it's like when I look at this card, I'm like, they had to have been thinking about like very specifically legacy because that's the it, it punishes brainstorm pretty heavily. Um, so it 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 feels like that, uh, but who knows? It's watch out for this card. Uh, I would recommend probably not spending whatever the retail price on this card is right now. Because uh, I, I feel my gut is telling me that we're going to see it run the same course as Whole Breacher. Uh, I'm, I'm not convinced of that. It may very well be the case, but yeah, um, I'm not 21 damage, either, but 21, 21 direct damage in CEDH is generally a board wipe. Um, yep. 21 direct damage in casual is very often not. Um, yeah. just because it moves slower and you got chonkier creatures running around and um, I I don't know because the thing that is going to dictate the ban is the impact on casual and yeah, 100% I, I will have to see what happens yeah. if people if there's no big outcry from the casual community then we're going to be we'll have to live with it and yeah It'll be commanderless commander, basically, because <laughs> all commanders, except for commanders with ward or hexproof or whatever, um, are going to be very difficult to keep on the battlefield. If it's like, fuck you, leave me alone, I'm right. fine. <laughs> I'm just hopeful that this is one of those cards that Sheldon has a personal bad experience with early enough that he just goes, nope. <laughs> You're hoping. It's not that easy. <laughs> it is not that easy, but... Not uh, exactly. I, I it is a fun joke at the at the very least that he also makes. So mm -hmm. um next card on our list is Samwise Gamgee. It costs a green and a white is a legendary half white halfling peasant that is a two-two, and it says whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, create a food token. So and it also has a second activated ability. Uh, that is sacrifice three foods, return target historic card from your graveyard to your hand. Cobble, you specifically asked for this card on this list because it is part of a combo that I've heard gets pretty simplified because of this card. Right. It's it, it's a new it, it allows a new Hulk pile that um, is a single stage Hulk pile that has grand abolisher in it um to my knowledge all the existing hulk piles either have to have two stages to have mm -hmm. a grand abolisher or are single stage but don't have built-in protection so in this particular case you've got grand abolisher samwise gamgee carrion feeder and cauldron familiar and basically the cauldron familiar every time you sacrifice a food while well, it's in your well, it's in your graveyard, it'll come right back to the battlefield. And then it triggers Samwise to create another food and sack, you know, it loops and kills the table very quickly. Um, so what that does is if you don't have a two-stage uh, pile, um, the number of cards that are devoted to your Hulk 
apparatus is decreased. And that means that the overall value of you know your card quality is going to be improved. And so what you're telling me is Witch's Oven is going to be a CEDH staple. Absolutely. That's <laughs> you're reading between the lines there. You got me. Um there there's some other kind of you know cute things that you can do with with the food tokens um because mm-hmm. it you very quickly create a whole lot of food tokens but um this isn't really going to be something that you're looking for for other combos um it's it's just a extremely compact and well-protected hulk combo now hulk hasn't been tremendous but now um in the era of orcish bowmasters <laughs> you know having creatures that hang around <laughs> isn't really something that we want anyway so yeah. having having a creature that's there and then gone in a flash um very good <laughs> i made a pun there yeah uh, I, I i i was picking up on it and i was trying really hard not to laugh <laughs> yeah. so um and and the fact that you have a single stage with Grand Abolisher right there means right. that people can't intervene with their Orcish Bowmasters to shoot it down and stop you mid mid combo. So um who knows? Maybe in the shifting sands of of you know how how all of this plays out, uh Hulk may come back into vogue and Samwise Gamgee will be there to as a trust and companion to help the the hulk decks along <laughs> well what do you think about it tyler what, what's your kind of take on this i have nothing to add to that i mean it it, it doesn't really have a role anywhere else uh, and my brain is much yeah. too smooth to conceive of new hulk piles so i do not i do not do that kind of work this is best left to experts like cobble um so yeah that's that's pretty much the whole story with it you're not playing it for any other reason yeah uh well the next card on our list is a card i'm personally excited about because i get to compare it to an all-time favorite card of mine and that's boromir warden of the tower and i can already see cobble just sighing as he knows exactly where this is going uh this is a two colorless and a white human soldier that is a three three that has vigilance and says whenever an opponent casts a spell if no mana was spent to cast it counter that spell it also has a secondary activated ability that says second sacrifice Boromir Warden of the Tower. Creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn, and the ring tempts you. So, Tyler, one might say, just, you know, that this is like another Lavinia. <laughs> one, one might say that. I mean, I think calling something that that costs half again as much mana. Another Lavinia is pretty generous. Uh, I think it's substantially worse than Lavinia. Obviously, um, I think probably in general you would rather just have a, a two mana tax effect like Thalia or something that also does something else relevant. So mm-hmm. to me, this reads as like you know fringe or or tuning to your meta. If if free spells are that much of a problem, maybe you end up running this on top of everything else. But it's really um, good in Lavinia. I'll tell you. I I uh. bet. <laughs> But I'm, I'm not sure I see this having a strong place in the 99 of, of most most decks, even stacks, stacks decks. Yeah, 
right stack stacks that don't have access to Lavinia that you know are sans blue stacks um would be interested in this because it is a compelling effect um not just for shutting down counter magic but also shutting down mana rocks and you know other things that people can cast for free and it's asymmetric just like Lavinia is so uh, it has that going for it um I don't think anyone really cares I I don't know if anyone's ever gonna care about being tempted by the the ring but uh next card on our list is Eowyn Fearless Knight she is a human knight that is a three four that costs two colorless a red and a white that has haste and says when Eowyn enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls with greater power. Legendary creatures you control gain protection from each of that creature's colors until end of turn. So specifically, this feels like a card that feels like it could be a really good hit off of Winota, Tyler. Yeah, um, I could see that. It is it is a human that you want to see. Um, it exiles one thing and gives your creatures protection from um, potentially multiple colors. Um, it doesn't seem especially appealing to hard cast at four mana. And I think the question becomes, you know, is is this better than other hits in, in the similar price range in Winota? Um, mm-hmm. And kind of the same way I said about Magda, I, I feel like I don't know the deck well enough to to assert that one way or the other. Um, my guess is it, it it might not be good enough um, to hit one thing and get pro a color when the things that you have entering are already um, getting indestructible. So the protection right. is kind of not going as far. It's really only about your your creatures, your non non human creatures that initially attacked are are where that protection's going. And I think most of the time you would rather just have them um, getting buffed by something like a Rick than um, getting yeah. temporary protection. It does, uh, I guess my thought with it is it gives your Winota very specifically having protection from a color can mean it has some removal protection. So uh, Winota getting, not being able to get targeted by like a chain of vapor or something along those lines, I think definitely is a positive. What are your thoughts, Cobble? Um, I think... The other aspect of protection is not being able to be blocked, mm-hmm. and um, that's rather significant. Um, if you're able to exile one problematic blocker, and then also in doing so give everybody else, um, you know, unblockability against the remainder of of one particular player's uh, board state, um, that can, you know, end someone's game very very quickly uh with mm-hmm. with the Win- winota combat so it's it's something that like tyler said i think would require testing you, yeah you try and, it see how it is right because i mean on its face that's that's not bad you know being able to uh, make sure that your team is going to be able to connect if you've got something that is uh, really riding on your creatures dealing combat damage to players right. then removing blockers and being able to ignore others um, is is a big part of getting there and this has that stapled on something that can be 
blinked and uh, who knows maybe people will find a way to exploit that in interesting ways or mm -hmm. people will try it and it'll just not quite be enough to get there yeah yeah uh we do have a wonderful new white card that is next and this is actually probably reasonably playable and that's reprieve which is an instant that costs a colorless and a white that says return target spell to its owner's hand draw a card this is so everybody made and the it it doesn't draw a card for your opponent it doesn't draw a card for your opponent um people immediately compared this to unsubstantiate remand uh specifically mm -hmm. remand uh and i do want to point out that technically speaking this is better than remand yeah. because of its ability to it doesn't counter things it returns spells to their hand so it gets around the whole can't be countered thing uh that a lot of cards have or well you know a lot of commanders now especially in green are going to have stapled onto them what are your thoughts on this card cobble pot like is the, it's it's a very interesting thing to see move into white it's something something that is in white yeah this is this is kind of like mana tithe for you know whatever reason it's it's i don't know why white gets stack interaction but okay I'll, I'll i'll take it it's card draw um which they said that white was going to get so thank you yeah um it's it is a remand effect it is a unsubstantiate effect half um, of an unsubstantiate is important to, right to know that's true the fact it, it it's not constrained to spells that your opponents control Yep. So there are, you know, fun, stormy kind of things that you can do with that in order to um, extend your 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 tendrils. That's what you're playing <laughs> with white. Um, but I I don't know it it's so it's it's unconstrained in mm -hmm. in what it can hit. So um, it's it. It doesn't say counter target creature, counter target non creature, counter target, you know, whatever. It's any spell. Yeah. Um, that is that's flexible interaction, which is good. What are that, what are your thoughts on reprieve? Uh, I know y'all did an episode not too long ago ranking counter spells, and everybody kind of went back and forth on where, uh, you know. Uh, what's it called? Remand fits into all of that. What are your thoughts on Reprieve? Yeah. That one, weirdly, we were talking about bounce spells and whether, oh, whether it's right. like that's this right. should be considered bounce spells. But um, I, I I put Reprieve in a similar spot uh, as Unsubstantiate. Um, I like them both, but don't find room for them in my decks, I think is where I would end up landing with this as well. Um, it's it's in a weird spot for white where like, I think it's probably good enough for most mono white decks. Um but only if your mono white deck is already interactive enough that like holding up two mana is not going to be completely going against your game plan, which, mm -hmm. you know, often that's, that's not really where mono white is. So, you know, this is no Ranger Captain of Eos. Like I think, I think white is still at its best when it's um, using silence effects as interaction and not mm -hmm. um, holding up two mana and passing the turn. But I mean, the more Archivist of Agamas we get, if we get enough flash creatures, maybe this is just the, you know, 
the the new yeah. color pie for for mono white is the other the other one that operates on the stack. Yeah, white feels like it's starting to get more stack interaction, which I I, I do like uh, to some extent. Um, and I like that this is well, I like that it's this type of stack interaction. So it's like sort of counter spelly, but not exactly. Um, which I, I just dislike feel- playing white, and I want it to continue to be terrible for the rest of time. Well, I like playing white, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of more white cards, uh, we've got Dawn of a New Age. It's the first enchantment on our list, and it costs one colorless and a white. It says Dawn of a New Age enters the battlefield with a hope counter on it for each creature you control. At the beginning of your end step, remove a hope counter from Dawn of a New Age. If you do, draw a card. Then, if Dawn of a New Age has no hope counters on it, sacrifice it, and you gain four. Uh, so, Tyler, when we look at this card, you know, we're, again, seeing more white card draw. What are your thoughts on that? This isn't one of the best white card draw spells that we've had. I mean, I think um, things along the lines of, like, Welcoming Vampire are probably still better because they just don't have an expiration date pre-printed on them. Um, mm-hmm. And realistically, when that when this card draw is going to feel good is relatively early in the game. Um, I think you know, it, not not that it feels terrible later, but you know, ideally you're getting this down early in the game to to be able to have the the stuff in your hand to make the game go long because that's the only kind of deck that is is paying for this kind of card draw is one that has access to no other effective forms of card draw. So probably right. we're in mono white territory again, um, and probably it's coming down with like two counters on it most of the time. So I think it's, um, I don't know, I I, I think it's not not great. Um, it might let you hang in the end game in games where you otherwise wouldn't be able to um, grind out and and kind of remain relevant as a mono or low color white deck. But um, that's sort of a a long shot. I, I feel like it's it's close, but probably doesn't make it for me. Yeah, Cobble, what are your thoughts on Dawn of a New Age? I think it's really good and casual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a Phyrexian arena um, for white that costs two that you know token decks will like to have and yeah you know it's an extra card guaranteed each turn for some period of time um in cedh i don't know if if even mono white wants it um just given that we've got esper sentinel and archivist and you know we're getting more and more efficient means of of getting some cards to hand uh maybe it sees play um but it's it's not something that i think is compelling anywhere outside of mono white yeah power level on par with mingar the diplomat how about that i i feel like it's a little bit better than that uh but uh we do have another card on here that is probably reasonably powered and uh, reminds me of a card that is banned in standard and that is spiteful banditry which is a red enchantment that cost x red red and it says whenever spiteful banditry enters the battlefield it deals x damage to each creature and then it also says whenever one or more creatures your opponents control die you create a treasure token but this ability triggers only once each turn. <laughs> Strong feelings, Cobblepot. <laughs> what what was, are your thoughts on this card? 
It, 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 it reminds me of a card that you have played a decent bit, and that's Meat Hook Massacre. It was a very direct comparison to that, uh, in that the first half of it is nigh identical outside of it doesn't give minus one from it doesn't do minus x minus x it's just x stamp i think that it's nice that it is flexible mm-hmm. um just like meat hook massacre is um you can cast it with x equals zero and not feel bad about it mm-hmm. because you know that you're still going to get value from it because Creatures die, especially when orcish bowmasters are <laughs> ruling the format. But um, yeah, it's it's got that only triggers once each turn. But still, I mean, if you get four treasure tokens every rotation, I'm I'm okay with that for two mana. Um, and it also has the ability to wipe the board because you you can pay that one red mana to kill all of the bow masters that are on the table yeah um, now what decks are going to want kind of a slow plodding you know drip of of treasure tokens you know each each rotation um who's to say <laughs> me i'm to say it, live visit Tyler, you wanted to put this in your, uh, you specifically asked for this in this list. What are your thoughts on this card? I think Niv Mizzet probably runs it, and I think some other decks that are running um, Anger of the Gods or Brotherhood's End could make a reasonable case for replacing those with this card, which are not many decks. I, I do think it's a short list, but I think this does not see zero play. Yeah. We have one last card left on this uh, list, and it is the only one. It is the one ring, and it is a legendary artifact that costs four colorless mana, and it's a, it has indestructible. When the one ring enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you gain protection from everything until your next turn. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life for each burden counter on the one ring, and then it has an activated ability where you tap it, put a burden counter on the one ring, then draw a card for each burden counter on the one ring, which is okay. Um, so this just kind of in exponentially gets better. Uh, Tyler, I know that you are talking, like there is some talk about this in the Kinning community. Am I correct? Yep. Um, we have some folks on our discord who have brought this up as something that we want to test in Kinnon. Um, but because I am a pedantic asshole, I do have to first say um, it is not uh, exponentially; it is linearly. It is very specifically linearly, linearly. <laughs> because because it is incrementing um, one at a time. Um, Thank not, you. Thank you. Not not an ever increasing. Anyway, I, I appreciate um, you holding <laughs> my It's not geometric, fire. and it's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So I I think um, this is plausible in Kinnon. I'm not entirely sold on it, uh, but I think the idea being that many Kinnon decks already run a bunch of artifact tutors. Um, this uh, amasses a pretty fair amount of advantage, um, albeit rather slowly, um, but is also you know close to game winning with a Seaborn Muse, because then you're looking at 10 cards in one turn cycle. Um, I'm not entirely persuaded yet that that is enough of a reason to run a four mana draw one card um, on its face that can be removed once it becomes a problem and mm-hmm. is not great without Seaborn Muse. But 
um, I am I'm open to that being the case. Um, certainly, it is much worse now that Orcus Bowmasters exist because <laughs> maybe drawing cards is about to get a lot more feels bad in creature decks. Yeah. But um, it's but kind we'll of see. weird that that uh, that the one ring would trigger the Bowmasters who serve the ring. Anyway, don't try to read into it. I, I, <laughs> there, there's a lot of things in this. There's a lot of things in this set where my brain looks at the lore and it's like, it's, it's all in how the cards play because the art is terrific. Like this is some of the best art I've ever seen. Some of the way the cards act, I'm just like, is that how that would work? Uh, <laughs> why does the ring have no downsides? Uh, <laughs> It, it, it just this one does uh, it, yeah you lose life it doesn't feel like a Whoa. downside because we play cdh but yeah <laughs> in some formats losing life is considered bad yeah i don't know i've always been told that life is a resource yeah. uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts on this card cobble um i think it's a derevi card yeah it, if if you're in a world where orcish bowmasters don't exist um if you are in a world where you can have creatures on the battlefield and they can attack and connect and deal damage, um, if all of them are able to untap a permanent, then um, this becomes, you know, a, a bant nauseum. Which, yeah. if you have any way to consistently untap before, man, right. this makes man, this really makes me miss paradoxes. Um, yeah, I was going to ask: Are I there any see... CDs that run on Winding Clock? Because like that, then you want uh, it, right? Um, Gerza, yeah, the, uh, Malira, who's the she's the um, she's the Gruel version of Urza because you can just tap a uh, uh, an art a non token artifact for for mana. Um, but it you know you you definitely have Unwinding Clock, but a uh, Clock of Omens. Which is actually uh, better in this particular case. I yeah. think you have Clock of Omens in Magda as well. Yeah, um, I've been seeing this in Magda. In Magda. Yeah. yeah, right. So you know, it can be anywhere where you're Magda generating. Theory. So right. Yeah. So um, you know, you get the one ring onto the battlefield, tap a couple of clues or treasures or whatever, and untap it, and you know, retap and untap, um, and especially if you've got grinding station and or um what's the three mana whenever an artifact enters the battlefield untap it artifact uh battered oh battered uh, golem like battered go <coughs> i think it's bad yeah battered golem um in in those types of scenarios where you can tap them to untap something else uh then it gets out of hand very very quickly because yeah. they trigger for every artifact that comes into play uh whether you control them or not so um but again all of that hinges on being able to have creatures on the battlefield so right we shall see um with Off all that said head. um tyler what are your thoughts on this uh, overall uh you know as as a set or what are your feelings on uh, i i gotta own something here which is that i have had contempt for universes beyond sets in the past and as soon as it 
became a Lord of the Rings set, I had to admit that I was just a complete hypocrite and I was excited for this. <laughs> so, um, um, and and I, I hate that that is the case because I, I still don't like that they are doing universes beyond sets. And I am I am one of the you know most curmudgeonly people you will find about changes magic has made in the last 10 years. But the set is exciting. It, it looks exciting to play. I'm definitely going to open a bunch of it. I'm definitely going to play a bunch of limited. Um, I like that it's, it's bringing some things, but not a... Really yeah, fun. yeah, it really does. I love that it's bringing um, some cards to to the table for CDH, um, but not a ton. I hope Orcish Bowmasters is banned before I even open up my first pack. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, Kyle, what are your thoughts on the set overall? I'm excited about the cards. Um, I'm excited about some of the casual stuff yeah. that I can do with it. Um, I'm confused at the model where there's like a full set and like a subset and then a commander set, set of commander with a right. commander and so it's like subset. wait a minute how, how do i get this card you know which thing do i buy yeah. to um i i feel like they could could have done that differently but um as far as being um you know reverent to the original subject matter um while taking some liberty they have done a really really good job yeah. um i i remember people who were like um you cannot pass what you know they got it wrong um or it's like that, that's, no, that's actually, actually that is the text from the book and um it's also uh, the line from the movie too it's just not the one people remember <laughs> right um but you know the 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 liberal use of of uh, uh my goodness i'm i'm blanking on the the text that's on the bottom of a card that gives you flavor, flavor, flavor text, text. Yeah, yeah um some uh, of my know, favorite flavor of, texts i've ever seen right all and and they're all ex- excerpts from from the books and that's i you know that someone did work somebody put a lot of effort in to yeah. make sure that they were representing the original work and they were, you know, doing it in, in a um, thoughtful and authentic way. And I'm grateful for that. Um, I absolutely want to second that because when it, when it feels like Hash, Hasbro has pushed magic to do some cash grabs in the last few years, it is, it is nice that through some combination of people who genuinely cared at wizards and how um, extremely uh, and, and notoriously, um, sticklers the um, jrr tolkien um like intellectual property group is for for doing it right like some combination of those two things at least made made, made it yeah. work and we we say that but then also the golem game exists so you know you win some you lose some but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh thank you so much for joining us this week tyler uh it's always a pleasure to have you on so glad that uh you were available for this and we got to have you on. Thank you so much for, for having me. For the weird cross section of people who watch or listen to our podcast, but do not consume play to win content. How can they find you and get more information about you? Um, you can primarily find us on YouTube, just searching play to win or play to win MTG. Um, you can also go to play to win which points to a bunch of our merch stuff. Um, and we are as well semi-active on Twitter and I think on YouTube shorts now. 
it's a little hard to keep up. Yeah, you I am guys not been an doing like TikToks and shorts and stuff like that. It's been very fun because I get to got to see you be grumpy about an Infinity card as well. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I do a lot of that. And you can find our our Gatewin merch if you if you did not see that this is a thing. We were pleased to do that for um, Pride this year, so I now have an unreasonable amount of Gatewin clothing, and I'm not sorry. <laughs> yeah, don't be. It's awesome. I'm glad that it exists. It's uh, very much why I permanently added it to our logo. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I was just a fan. So, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for uh, you know being willing to hop on the podcast. I, I I've, I've said this before, but you are one of my favorite play to win uh, people. One of my three favorite play to win members. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I love you guys. I, 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 Agreed. I feel, I feel bad because it's like I also love Cam and Dylan, uh, but you know, Tyler well, definitely are, has if, a special place in my heart. By the strictest definition, there are there are four current Play to Win members and and like five total that have ever been. I don't know. Well, so it's so three is not a completely meaningless thing. I will tell Nate that you specifically do not care for him. Oh. <laughs> Fuck you. Pablo, it was nice to to meet you and, <laughs> and get to yeah um, chat with you. Uh, a little more in depth for once. Yep, looking forward to next time. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, Tyler and I are buddies, so I'm, d- I'm definitely not mm-hmm. going to just pester and like, hey, do you <laughs> want to come on the podcast? Hey, do you want to come on the podcast? Uh, oh, please. You better watch out. That's how you become a mind sculptor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with that being said, thank you all for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Mind Sculptors Podcast. I'm your host, Callahan, and we'll see you next time. Tell me what you want from me. Tell me what you want to hear from me.